Well, good morning, church. Um, it's good to, in a weird way, uh, be with you. This is certainly uh, an unorthodox way for us to worship the Lord on Sunday, um, but by grace, we'll do it what way we can um, for now. Um, I want you, if you have your Bible uh, there in your home, uh, to turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I want us to look at something out of uh, John's Revelation in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. And this is what John writes in the second to last chapter of, of that book. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Um, obviously, you know, none of us uh, are uninformed about what's going on in the world right now. It's a pandemic. Um, everyone is stressed out. Everyone's fearful. A lot of people for different reasons. Some people because they're worried about losing their jobs and financial stress. Some people are worried about their own health. Some people are worried about family members. So there are a lot of things going on right now around the world um, that remind us uh, life as it is, is very fragile. And what we have in normal day-to-day -day life, it's always at risk of being lost. And I think a lot of people, uh, certainly uh, in our own country, around the world, they are losing. They're losing loved ones. They're losing security. They're losing life as they knew it not that long ago. So it's just a very real reality for us. Uh, living in the world we do. I remember five or six years ago uh, when I was a worship pastor, one of the uh, main girls who sang with me, um, her husband called me and he said um, that uh, Marissa had gotten in a terrible car wreck. And so I flew up to the hospital as quick as I could and um, I, I got to the hospital and of course she was in uh, an emergency surgery. She was nine months pregnant about at the time. And we sat there and we prayed and we prayed. And then I looked back down the hallway and I could see uh, the husband drop to his knees as the doctors told him that both um, his wife and his unborn child uh, had, had passed away and they, they couldn't save them. So, so losing is just a very present, acute reality. I think we get away with not thinking about it sometimes when... Life seems to be well in seasons, but sure enough, whether it's a flu, a pandemic, a funeral, we're reminded that, that things are broken, and oftentimes we lose. We lose what we don't want to lose. Um, but I believe that Jesus, I believe that Christianity, I believe truly John's revelation, more than anything, it points us to a greater hope, a greater peace, a greater joy when all is lost. So verse 1 there, look at it again. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. So Revelation, usually people don't like to study it because it's this very strange, enigmatic book. There's an incredible amount of symbolism. Uh, chronologically, it jumps around. It doesn't just flow naturally. It goes back and forth in time. But the overarching message of Revelation is, and this is a spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Uh, Jesus is victorious over the devil, uh, God's ancient enemy, uh, the fallen angels that followed Satan, all nations and people who chose to take a stand against God with Satan. So these overt, obvious enemies are crushed to the praise and glory of God. But so also is Jesus victorious over not just God's overt enemies, but the effects of evil in all ages past. Sickness, death, natural catastrophe. Jesus' victory at the end of Revelation is, hang on to this, it's a comprehensive one. So much so that the terrible evil effects in our world, uh, the great tyranny of darkness, uh, if you will, it will end uh, at the end of all things. It will be like a bad dream, C.S. Lewis reminds us. We will wake from the nightmare and it will be morning. So, so God's victory in Christ at the end of all things, it's comprehensive over God's obvious enemies and the effects of evil in our world. But here's the truth I want you to cling to, and it's this. Oftentimes, God allows life to seem like it's out of his control. He allows it often to seem like defeat is inevitable for his people. And I believe he does this because he's trying to draw out that great reality for you and I. And it's this. Discipleship is not a walk by sight. Discipleship is a walk by faith. Our physical sensory experiences indicate so often, uh, don't they, uh, that, that our lives, the world, is overwhelmed by evil. Good is always, ha always has the shorter hand. And that certainly seems to be the case in, in Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, uh, what you get really uh, is this, this, this story that seems to be about how God loses in the end. Satan quickly deceives the nations. Satan has this meteoric rise to power. He deceives everyone. He, he has the allegiance of the nations. All Christians are practically shut out. And it seems like God is going to lose. We see that playing out on earth. But what John also gets in his revelation is a window into heaven and what God's doing in heaven. And what he sees is a God that has a surgeon's knife. And that God is bringing to pass exactly what he wants to bring to pass, the way he wants it to come to pass, in his timing. All things working together toward a victorious end for Jesus' people, Christ reigning and ruling. But, but here's the truth as well. That's not just the case in the book of Revelation. It is. It's also the case in every era of human history. Every generation, every decade, every century is riddled with evil. Dictators who wield backbreaking authority over people, sicknesses that riddle the masses, natural disasters that wreak havoc on cities. That's common in human history. There is nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes reminds us. Perhaps the woes of Revelation will be more pronounced, but it's nothing new. Think about Hitler's Germany, Mao Zedong of China, Joseph Stalin, uh, Genghis Khan. All these leaders slaughtered so many people. And in each of these era, people could have said, Christians could have said, aha, this is the end. 
Think about the bubonic plague, smallpox, a variety of flu strains that have killed millions of people, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes. They're very common to human history, and you could always say, oh, look, this must be the end. This must be the end. And friends, we don't know when the end's coming, but the constant replaying out of the terrors of evil in our world are a reminder the end will come someday. So Ecclesiastes, it gives us this wisdom. Nothing's new, but it also gives us this wisdom. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10, the writer says, Say not... Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So because every era in human history is littered with tragedy, littered with evil, there's not a day, there's not a month, there's not a year where we should long to go back. We should never go back and recall a better time in life. Maybe we can remember those few brief moments that were good, but nothing is in this life as God intended it to be, so we shouldn't cling to it too tightly. Why is it that way? Well, it's that way because our world, our bodies, our souls are infected with sin. Sin has ruined God's perfect creation. Uh, we in creation, uh, we retain some semblance of what we once were before the fall, but we are a million miles away from God's perfections. God's perfect way, God's perfect rule should be the desire of every Christian heart, not something that looks like it. And this desire for perfection is possible only because of Jesus. Jesus stepped down into our mess Jesus made a way out of the fallen kingdom, out of the status quo of existing, existing in a world uh, with suffering, with ailments, with, with, with a love of sin in our hearts. And more from that, Jesus came to freeze from judgment for our sins. So on the cross, Jesus became, the scriptures tell us, Jesus became a curse. The Bible tells us Jesus became sin for us. So friends, nothing in life should say, I want to go back to that era. I want my life to look like that because everything is marred by sin and it's what Christ has saved us out of. It's what Jesus has redeemed us from. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So if Jesus rose from the grave victorious over the effects of the fall, and he did, there's no question about that for us as Christians, I want to say to you in this time, there, there's such a great danger for us as, as his disciples in uh, growing attached to our way of life in the here and now. I think there's, there's a real threat of hypnotism by the forces of evil to assimilate us into this world as it is in its fallen condition. Uh, when we're duped, if you will, uh, by Satan into living for the moment, for what comforts we can find here, what securities we can find here, what health we can find here, what happiness we can find here. We forget that we were called, we are called, to something far greater. Again, in the words of C.S. Lewis, if I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy, then I must conclude I was not made for here. So every genuine disciple wars with that in their heart every day, the call of man's kingdom to settle for less than God's perfect 
life for us, knowing God in all perfection. Why? Because we have concluded when we became disciples of Jesus, this world cannot satisfy the deepest longing of the soul. Jesus has shown us only he can satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. It doesn't mean that if you ever have security, if you ever have any sort of worldly comfort, it's innately wrong and bad. Only this, church, you, you cannot let it substitute for Jesus and his coming kingdom. So never look back. Be reminded of those Israelites who God saved them mightily out of Egypt and in the desert on the way to the promised land, they longed to be back under their slaveholders, all because they said at night, after their day of backbreaking work, they had a little food to eat. They sold out God for their bellies. Think about uh, Lot's wife. God saved Lot and his family by mercy from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet Lot's wife, what did she do, even though the angel of the Lord said, do not look back. She looked back. She looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah because she had a fondness in her heart. She longed for the comforts of that sin-sick city. She turned from God in her heart towards that city, and so God judged her by making her a pillar of salt. So church, what I, what I, what I want for us in these strange times, what I'm praying is this, the onset of, of this virus uh, would, would remind us we have no abiding city here. We have no abiding city here. Its comforts are fleeing. Its condition is corrupt. The prophet Isaiah says so well how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Friends, it is a fallen world. Our discipleship, our very lives are not found in what we have in this life, what we don't have in this life. It's found in who we know. And who do you know this morning in this unrest, in this insecurity, in this loss? Oh, I want to remind you this morning who you know, who we know is Jesus, the Son of God who has come to set us free from this fallen kingdom of man slavery of sinful lust, the slave master, Satan. Don't look back. Don't look back this morning. It's broken. It's corrupt. None of it can compare with what's to come for those who follow Jesus on through the mirage of comfort, security, and happiness on into true, lasting joy. And in fact, if we have truly set out to follow Jesus, we will by faith impart in part, have joy and peace now of the glory that someday will be revealed. We, we have enough peace and joy in the Spirit now to keep us as we fight to let go of this world and cling to what's to come. Jesus says these very sobering words to us. Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Friend, don't look back. Look forward to Christ. I'm always um, impressed with, I'm always very taken with uh, the pilgrims and the Puritans. Um, you know, we see those silly pictures of them, you know, eating the first Thanksgiving dinner 
uh, with with the Indians, and really that's just that's such a flat, silly picture of the reality. The reality is this: a lot of Englishmen who had very great social standing, uh, who had great wealth in England, they had such conviction about the scriptures. They were not willing to let the king of England tell them how to worship. So much so, they left their titles. They left their lands. They they left uh, the very comfortable lives they had, and they became very, very poor, impoverished people in Holland. They assimilated into Leiden, Holland, and they became uh, workers uh, in wool industry, in, in clothing um, industry, sewing and weaving every day, uh, 12 hours a day, making little to nothing. They became an impoverished community, all because they had the conviction of worshiping God the way that they believed was right. They were willing to suffer the loss of their very comfortable, their very prestigious lives um, in England. And it, it's such a testimony to what they believed in and what they were looking for. Uh, it's just a very real theme for the, those Puritans. If you read any of the his, historical accounts, they were looking forward to a better country. They weren't holding on to this one at all. They were glad to suffer the loss of it. So so do, do I want, should you want an end to the coronavirus? Absolutely. It's not wrong to, to desire it uh, to pass. But friends, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what 10 years from now holds. And you cannot let that change your joy and peace. If you knew for fact that it was all going to go away tomorrow, if you knew for fact it wasn't going to go away from 10 years, friends, we of all people in the world should have joy. We should have peace. We should have a stead fast hope and just constitution in ourselves that it is okay because Jesus has saved us out from under it. It was not made to last. It's temporary. And Jesus has redeemed us over the fall of man. So I want to encourage you and I preach it to myself as much as I would to you. Repent of your disbelief and fear of what may be. Repent of believing God's not going to take care of your family. Repent of believing uh, that God can't see the future and He's not in control. Uh, repent of your love, of comfort, of security, of just wanting things to go back to the way they were because it was comfortable for you. Rather, friends, let's just praise and worship God that He's saved us from whatever happens in this life and we know that we have a sure one to come. I, I wonder if we as Providence Fellowship as the very real and living church of Jesus Christ, if we can be different, and we can be different from the world, as crazy as it is, people buying up toilet paper to food and going nuts on the internet, can we be different in how we have a lack of fear? We have a lack of anxiety. Can we have in Jesus a powerful witness? Are we able to give a reason for the hope that we have as we're so encouraged to do? We'll look back at uh, Revelation chapter 21, I want you to see again what John says here. And in verse 2, he says, And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So John gets a future reality, in effect. He's seeing the grand and glorious end of it all. He sees what has passed away. He sees uh, the current heaven and earth as fleeting from the presence of God. And that's all that we just talked about, what's corrupted by sin. He sees another thing, and I want you to grab this. What he sees is a new heaven. What he sees is a new earth, and it's a place perfect as God is perfect and clean, free from the effects of the fall. And curiously, he said there, the sea was no more, if you caught that. Now, what does John mean when he says the sea was no more? Well, John, if you think about him in his time, John was, one, exiled on the island of Patmos. So the sea was this thing that was keeping him from the people he loved. The sea represented great distance. It represented separation. Uh, The sea also represented great tumultuous darkness. It represented terror. Um, The sea in our present day, if you're a seafaring person, uh, often it's a dangerous thing to go out on the ocean in any vessel. Much more in John's time, the sea was a very just dangerous thing. It was an unknowable thing. They didn't know very much about the ocean at all and how it works. So, so the ocean, the sea for John, it's a place of darkness. It's a place of the unknown. It's something that separates. But John goes on to spell out in this new heaven, in this new earth, in this vision he's getting, the very opposite of danger, the very opposite of separation. He talks about nearness, and he, and he talks about it in terms of a city. He talks about the new Jerusalem. Now, recall in Old Testament times, King Solomon, David's son, he created by God's will, God told him to do it, uh, the first temple. And the first temple in Jerusalem that Solomon made, it was beautiful. He used the finest timber. He used the most precious metals. But it still was a place that only God's people could draw near to. It wasn't a place where they actually met with their God. They could come near to the temple, but still it was the priest who went into the Holy of Holies to make intercession and to make atonement for the sin of the people. Man could not, as beautiful and wonderful as the city of Jerusalem was, as beautiful and as wonderful as the temple was, as mighty and as powerful as Israel was uh, at this time in human history, still yet the people could not be with their God because of their sinfulness. So it was good, but it wasn't as good as it gets. What John gives you and I in his revelation is the greater thing. He gives us a new Jerusalem. And in this new Jerusalem, God doesn't dwell close to the people or near the people. What John says to our amazement, it should amaze us, he says God dwells with the people. God is with them. It reminds us all the way back in Genesis of when God in the cool of the day is seeking out Adam. God is seeking out Adam, a time when 
because Adam was pure and without sin he could see God face to face. And, and we're getting that, but, but to a much greater degree of everyone in God's perfect new Jerusalem, in God's new city, in God's country, and we dwell with God forever. It's a glorious future picture for those who know Jesus. And the bond there, why, why could it be so that we could be near God? Well, not because of our obedience, not man's obedience. Remember, Adam found he couldn't obey, and that distanced him from God. But now we're able to draw near and dwell with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. That's our bond to Christ and God. The man Adam couldn't please God. But the second Adam, Jesus, lived holy. He lived righteous. And by shedding his blood, he secured a permanent dwelling place for us with God in God's eternal city. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that's Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So friends, that's an amazing truth for us to hold on to. Jesus shed his blood that we would inherit eternal life in the new city dwelling with God forever. John says to us in our trouble this morning, don't look back, look forward, because what's coming is unimaginable. He says, in this new place, in this new city, when we're near God, we're with God, we're living our lives in His presence, God's going to wipe away sadness. He's going to wipe away death. He's going to wipe away viruses and hate and war and pain. All these things will be non-entities. They simply will not be. In the light and presence of God, we will know joy and life unspeakable. I wish I could, but I can't you know, put it into human words. I, I can't describe it, but I can by grace believe it and I can hold on to it that God's country will be unimaginably better than this one. Can you by faith believe that? Can we believe that? That we will have a body free from the clutches of time that wear us out, wear us down to fragility, feebleness, can you imagine having a body that's endlessly healthy? No one's ever heard of ailments. No one's ever heard of suffering in God's kingdom. A soul that knows nothing of sin, nothing of selfish pleasure, nothing of lustful desire. A pure and perfect heart that loves God and loves people to its own satisfaction in the image and the likeness of Jesus. Can you imagine that? A perfect creation turning and moving in and out of season to the glory of God and the joy of man. No tragedy to be heard of. That is, that's not real in God's country that is to come. And the answer to the question is no. No, you can't imagine these things. I can't imagine them either. But faith allows us to claim them. Exclusively, as Jesus' followers, we can claim that city is our home. No political philosophy could produce it. No spiritualism could create it. No attempt by man could resemble it. It's the work of God and His Son Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died to the old, and three days later, He rose to the new. A new, pure, 
perfect, eternal life. So it is only by faith in Jesus that we participate in and have a share in the glory to come, an eternal kingdom lasting forever. And we join with creation to wait for it. The Apostle Paul says, all creation, it waits and it groans to be renewed with us who are also the sons of God. We wait for the day when we will have new bodies and we'll be pure and perfect and all the old will pass away. Friend, you long for it. Do you look forward to it? Is that your great hope? And if you can by faith believe that, life now for us, I want to, I want to encourage us in this, it must be spent living for that great day to come. If I, if I truly have my heart set on not this life, but on the life to come in a new Jerusalem and God's presence, I'm going to start living like it now. I want you to hear what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Church, if eternity with God is your hope, the scriptures say, start living like it now. By the Spirit in us, we have a foretaste of that glorious end. The Spirit now readying us, preparing us for it. If the new heavens, the new earth, that's our hope. Let's not disgrace it by living like an enemy of God now. I don't want to waste my life now. I want to live for the glory that is to be revealed. I want to shine the light of my king now. I want to live under the rule and reign of my king now. I want to obey him now. I want to look like him now. I want him to be manifested in my life now that everyone can know and see there is a greater city, there is a greater country to come, and that is the one worth living for. I want my heart to desire the things of God's country. I don't want to love this place. I don't want to stick one foot in one kingdom and one foot in the other kingdom. I want the Spirit of God to convict me that Jesus is better and His kingship is better and His Father is better and being filled with the Spirit is better and there's nothing here worth holding on to. I want to look forward to and by faith grasp a new heaven. I want to grasp the new earth, not because I deserve it, not because I'm worthy of it, but because by grace, Jesus shed His blood that you and I as adopted children could inherit what's to come. Do you bear likeness to your God? Do you bear likeness to His kingdom? Are you living as a citizen of heaven now? You know, they're talking about canceling or postponing the Olympics uh, this year. Uh, and uh, my wife and I, we love to watch the Olympics. Uh, but, you know, you and I, as we watch the Olympics, we see just two, three minutes of what took an athlete Years and years, day in, day out, all day long, back-breaking work 
to become the athletes that they are. And friends, if if people go to such great lengths to compete in sports, which as fun as they may be in the moment, they pass and we forget who wins and all that, should you and I not be, as Paul encourages us to do, training for righteousness day in and day out, that we would be approved workmen who aren't ashamed, that we would show up to glory and the Father would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, J.I. Packer in his very, very uh, you know, popular book, Knowing God, he says this, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance and this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? So I want to encourage you in your quarantine. I want to encourage you in these strange times. Set your eyes on Jesus. Rediscover the wonder of Calvary. Perhaps too long you've been bored with the gospel and you've been going about the motions of this life in this world. Can I encourage you? Turn the TV off. Turn the news off. It'll be there when you get back. It'll always be there. Can I encourage you to, to get away with the Word of God? Can I encourage you to get a journal? Can I encourage you just to sit with Jesus? Just sit at His feet and just be amazed and wondered of who He is. Taste Him in the Spirit. Taste Him in the Word. Let your heart, let your mind run wild, dreaming about, attempting to imagine what it's going to be like to be in God's new heaven, in God's new earth, and in eternal Jerusalem, where all things evil, all things that are sad, all the suffering it has passed, and we relish in and we glory in Jesus, who has made us and who's made all creation new to his glory. Can I encourage you to set your face to holy living in the now? Become now in the spirit the person that God desires you to be in eternity. If you have trusted Jesus, let me say it'll be your desire. And I want to say to you, lastly, shine. I was very encouraged by Chase and Rebecca. They uh, they they helped out some neighbors um, who who had a hard time getting around, who needed some things from the grocery, and it was just a little difficult for them to get out, and they went and they met those needs. So more than anything, be looking for how you can, with your words and with your life, point people to something better to come. Can you remind maybe some anxious co-workers, remind some anxious family members, some neighbors you have, and you're probably going to be exposed to your neighbors more than usual if you're home a lot, and remind them, hey, you know what? This is sad and it's terrible, but can I tell you about Jesus and what he did and what he's going to do, how he's going to come back. He's going to bring a new heaven and he's going to bring a new earth. Use this opportunity to share the gospel. People are especially sensitive to spiritual truths uh, when crises like this are present. So share the gospel. Uh, look to do good works where you can meet some needs. Perhaps you can run to the grocery for some neighbors. Uh, what can you do maybe in other people's lives to meet some needs so that you can show the love of Christ uh, and how he wants you to shine and be a light for him in such a dark time and place, friends. That is our great calling to not look back, to not look in the present, but to look forward to and live for 
the future. So here's here's this truth for us. Here's our truth as Christians. It's this. When all is lost, all is found in Christ. When all is lost in this life, friends, we have found everything in Christ. Jesus encourages us, lose this world. And in losing this world, you'll gain your own soul. You'll gain your own soul. You'll gain life. You'll gain love. You'll gain satisfaction. And knowing and being known by Jesus that He, by His own blood, He saved you out of the fallenness of this world. His gospel has called you into true purpose, into true joy, into the promise of a Father who loves you, the promise of a King who will rule over you well, the promise of a city which no enemy can conquer, a city perfect, a city full of God's people who have been made like their God. Jesus goes on to say this to us. It's the one who conquers that will have this heritage. The one who conquers. You know, the great truth that John tells us early in Revelation is this. The ones who conquer are the ones who conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Friend, you and I are insufficient to let go of this world and take hold of the one to come. But we have this great truth. We can conquer if we by faith trust in Jesus who shed his blood to clean us, to make us new, to give us his spirit, to keep us for an eternity. And we have our testimony of the gospel and that gospel truth that Jesus has saved us according to the will of the Father and he's going to keep us forever. Friends, that is how we conquer. So be filled with the power of the Spirit. Be filled with the knowledge of the gospel. Be filled with the fullness of Christ. Be filled with confidence that God loves you and He's going to keep you and He's going to keep us as His beloved church. We are the beloved bride of Christ and He sees us and He loves us and He is drawing us into His greater glory. So Christ is our all in all, friends. Dwell on Him Uh, this morning with your families. I just want to encourage you, maybe take a few moments here, uh, just kind of chew on what you've heard, uh, what the Spirit's revealed. Spend some time praying, maybe just a little bit more. And I want to encourage you to just click on that link and worship together um, as a family uh, with that song there. There's some lyrics for you to, to read along and just really meditate on those words. It's a beautiful hymn just about trusting the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. So I love you. Um, I love you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here if you need me. If you have a need, please reach out to me. Reach out to Chase. We are praying for you, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay, so God bless you. Uh, May he keep you.